Welcome to another edition of the YXC Sports Podcast. It is episode number 31. A big hello to everybody that's tuning in on the Wendell Clark's Classic Grill and Bar Facebook page and, of course, the YXC Sports Podcast page. Ray Morrison, an absolutely gorgeous weekend we had in Saskatoon. And, you know, we spent some of the weekend with our great team from Elias Terra, Deb yes. and Ian. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow... Congratulations to Ian because it's his 20th anniversary with his bride, Sylvia. Wow. I'm not sure if congratulations are in order to Sylvia, but to Ian, congratulations. <laughs> I kid. I kid. But, uh, no, that was great news. So we got out and uh, shot a couple of promos, did some stuff on uh, yesterday. And, uh, no, the weather was uh, was great. Got a little bit of yard work done. How about you? What to say? My weekend was good as well, yeah. So spent uh, spent the weekend with some friends, and good. that was fantastic as always. What's one of the old sayings they always say? Out kicking your coverage? Out kicking your coverage. I think that's a little that's bit what of what, uh, Ian what Ian's doing here with so. Sylvia. So 20th anniversary. Congratulations. That's great. A good uh, football analogy because we got a lot of football talk coming yeah. up uh, on this episode of the YXC Sports Podcast. The CFL uh, doesn't sound, now this isn't necessarily a for sure thing, but it doesn't sound like they are going to be receiving money from the federal government. Of course, this question was posed by Kevin Waugh, federal MP, yep. uh, to Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbeau last week. And the answer was basically Sport Canada doesn't provide funding to for-profit independent leagues. The new request was $42.5 million, and then there was a little bit of a back-and-forth on Twitter between yeah. Kevin Wan and Stephen Gilbo. But uh, where do you stand on this, and what's your opinion on this? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I have feelings that my personal feelings are the federal government should not be given the Canadian Football League money. That's, that's my personal thought. When two of your teams are owned by Calgary Sports and Entertainment and... and um, you know, Mark Giordano's salary could cover the Stampeders' payroll for two years. And again, in Toronto, Austin Matthews' salary could cover the Argos' payroll for two years. That's my opinion on it. But it was interesting because this was on Wednesday when Kevin Waugh got up and asked uh, Stephen Gillibo, the finance minister, okay, are you going to give this $42 million to the Canadian Football League? And uh, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, the response was simply this. Sport Canada doesn't provide funding for nonprofits or those outside of Football Canada's mandate. We encourage organizations in assistance to talk to their financial institution to see what options are available. To which Kevin Waugh replied, and I quote, So I take it then, Mr. Chair, this was in the House, so I take it then, Mr. Chair, that would be a no to the Canadian Football League. And then Kevin Waugh moved on to talk about <laughs> hockey. So Stephen Gillibo had to go back and probably talked with some of his liberal counterparts and they probably, I, I'm assuming or I'm, I'm thinking that maybe the conversations within the liberal party, within the government, had not gone that far to a point where a no should have been said. It might not have been decided. So... We'll see what comes of it this week. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Gillibo and Waugh were kind of back and forth a little bit on Twitter, and Gillibo kind of pointed out the fact that he didn't point blank say no. Well, he kind of did, but that's okay. Well, but <laughs> he, he kind of implied that there was not going to be any funding, but he didn't, he didn't uh, imply a hard no, I guess is the best way to word it. Yeah, so I guess, and I guess the other question to that, too, it would be if this season doesn't happen or – I guess another way to word this would be, should you even try to have a 2020 season? Or do you think it would just be 
wow. not worth the headache and just move on to 2021, hoping that the league can survive without a 2020 season. I personally think it will, but I yeah. like to think that I'm optimistic and nobody else seems well, to I agree think, with me. I think the Canadian Football League will survive if there's no 2020 season. And you watch some of the players now. They're kind of, you know, there are some reports coming out, especially from TSN, because they are the optimists and the rights holders for the Canadian Football League. Um, that and they are suggesting that you know the talks between the players' association and the and the owners are going well, <laughs> but there's a few players on social media who are saying, yeah, you know what, I we have a ways to go yeah. before we come up with a new agreement in light of what's going on here. So let's just uh, let's just hold back on on such optimism and and so we'll we'll see what happens, but. Um, I'm I'm not sure just based on and I don't know enough about the economics of each team or the league if they don't get federal help if they can't do this but uh, I'm not so sure that a a season is a good idea based on what you and I are going to talk about with baseball and um, you know B um, if you can't have fans in the stands players are really risking their careers for a portion of their salary to come up and play a violent game like football and that's that's kind of my other concern with this. I guess that's kind of the player's decision, though, right? I mean, oh, they're absolutely. putting themselves at, yep. at the absolutely. risk, if you will, yeah, for sure. by yep. doing that. So I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know how big of a talking point yep. that will be. Um, but, yeah, it is interesting for sure. I was kind of, uh, man, I mean, CFL Commissioner, I know that you don't mind CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. But I like Randy Ambrosi Man, has lot. he taken an absolute beating on social media <laughs> yeah, over the past. Yep. And, I, I mean, I'll yep. question some of his decisions as well. It was, uh, what was it, the start of July where they kind of proposed the six-game season and maybe the hub cities and all that sort of stuff yep. for the second week of July. Yep. And then uh, Ambrosi came out and said, okay, you guys have until uh, July 23rd to decide, well, yeah. giving them two or three weeks. So, yeah. But, yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of former players, too, have chimed, and even a lot of current players have chimed in and said that Randy Ambrosi, the yeah. way that he has handled this, has been uh, absolutely but terrible. You know what? In defense of Randy Ambrosi, he loves this league, and it's a challenging time. I mean, we could make the same case for Rob Manford or any of the other commissioners for the decisions they've made. Not loving it enough, apparently. Uh, speaking with football, U Sports, uh, you knew that this decision wasn't going to go away. Uh, announcing today that they have reversed their decision regarding overage players. So those fifth years that were going to be 25 years old will now get to play their yeah. fifth year season in 2021. This will be a one-time exception. Of course, avail available to players. That would mean that their eligibility would expire in 2021 as opposed to 2020. And they also said that they will look at all eligibility rules going forward. Eligibility. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's, here's the other thing about this. I got a text from a, a Canada West football coach, and I said, so, U-Sports has reversed its decision. And the response back to me was, this is nutty. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable that you couldn't, that nobody thought it was a good idea at the time when U Sports decided that they weren't going to honor these players in their years of eligibility. And now all of a sudden they've decided to do that, which is the right decision, but it was just the long road there, right? And so this, you talk about a PR nightmare. Oh. This has been a PR nightmare for U Sports. Uh, what again, did they think was going to happen? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, like, yeah. did they not think that this was going to happen when they came out with this ruling? But here's the other thing, though. So uh, according to. Uh, um, Dick White, the head of uh, the one-time head of U Sports, there was a 13-page document, a legal document that came back to 
the Youth Sports Board of Governors that said, look, if you allow this eligibility thing to be overturned, you're going to have this challenge time and time and time again. Well, now it's been overturned because of a once-in-a-century pandemic, mm -hmm. right? And I, I would like to know what the cost was for this construction of this 13-page report, yeah. because that would be a legal report, right? And you have now universities that are scrambling to try to figure out how they're going to fund their athletic programs. And in the meantime, lots of money probably went to a 13-page report to say, hey, you sports, you shouldn't do this. And guess what they're doing? They're doing it. They're allowing the 50-year players to play. So it's, um, I'm not totally surprised, and yet uh, it, is, it is shocking in some other ways that it's, it's played out like this. Whether they actually look at the ruling of the you know, rule as a whole, like it was recommended. They said that they uh, should look into it by February of 2021 going forward, not just for the the COVID year. Yeah. Whether they do or not will be interesting. I mean, they could have come out and just said that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when the decision was made 10 years ago, there was some resistance. Well, see, and you and I had Scott Flory here last week yep. or two weeks ago. Yep. And he said that was his big concern. wasn't necessarily this ruling, but it was the one from 10 years ago when they decided that they were going to cap players at an age instead of letting them play seven years of post high school football they were going to cap them at an age and you know this kind of played into this situation but that was what he was more concerned about yeah. at the time was that so it'll be interesting to see yeah. if they actually go and look at that ruling or not of course we are live at wendell clark's classic grill and bar and they are now open for business you can now enjoy their classics like the chicken tenders, the Wendell Burger, and the best fries in the business. And new to Wendell Clark's Classic Grill and Bar is delivery. That's right. You can now have Wendell Clark's Classic Grill and Bar come to you. The best part, delivery is free on orders more than $30. You can check their Facebook page for delivery specials coming soon. The Wendell Clark's Classic Grill and Bar, of course, is on the corner of Circle and Idlewild. You can call 306-382-1717. And a big hello to Diana Fedosov. She owns the Petrovka Orchard, which is the newest sponsor to the YXE Sports Podcast. The Petrovka Orchard is much more than an apple orchard. There are walking trails, a country store, government products, gourmet products to enjoy while enjoying the beautiful view. They have everything you need. Apple smokies, sausage gourmet relishes, barbecue sauce, mustard, steak sauce, and of course, fresh buns from their clay oven. If you want to pick up an apple smoky on a bun on the way to the lake, they can have that ready for you as well. You can visit the PetrovkaOrchard.com and see Diana's great videos on their Facebook page. The Petrovka Orchard is 30 miles north of Saskatoon. You know how some sports shows, uh, pardon the interruption, uh, I think Jay and Dan do this uh, yep. as well. Uh, they have like an error yeah. thing, an yeah. error segment at the yeah. end. Of, we should start that because I cannot talk today. Yeah. But uh, I was okay. going to say, speak for yourself. Yeah, well. I'm doing fine. Uh -huh. I'm carrying this thing on my shoulder. Uh, sure. Uh, the Canadian Elite Basketball League's summer series kicked off over the weekend. <laughs> of course, the yeah. Saskatchewan Rattlers are defending their title that they won last year. They beat the Niagara River Lions 96-79. Of course, the games are being streamed uh, on CBC, and uh, you kind of have a little bit of a, not an issue, but uh, the commissioner of the Canadian yeah. Elite Basketball League uh, brought up uh, one of his issues with uh, on Twitter over the weekend, and you didn't agree with him. So, Well, I'm not sure if I can find it here real quick. Mike Morielli, by the way, is the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and he is a terrific person. He's one of my, my favorite people, going back to the Canadian Football League. So when I heard that he was involved with the Canadian Elite Basketball League, I was, uh, I was pretty excited to see that. Um, and I'm just trying to find what he said about... 
um, the television coverage of this uh, tournament, the Summer Series. He said, hey, TSN Sports and Sportsnet 2, is it too much to ask for a box score or, heaven forbid, a highlight pack from the CEBL League? You know we are Canadian, right? And the first Canadian league to return to play with pro players, right? Did I mention we're Canadian and you're Canada Sports Network? What a shame. Okay, Mike, a couple things. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, again, Mike Morielli, he, he, he's done more than I'll ever be able to do. He's constructed a basketball league in this country, which is fantastic. But one of the things about television is you are not going to be able to get your highlights, whether you're the National Lacrosse League or the Canadian Elite Basketball League, unless you have a television deal. Now, the Canadian Elite Basketball League has a deal with CBC, whereby CBC will show some games – and I'm assuming this might start next year. They might show this year's final on over-the-air television. But CBC is streaming some of the games. I watched some of the uh, Rattlers game on the weekend. And if I'm a sports network, I'm not showing those highlights. The, the camera angle was way back. And so while players are shooting at the basket, you can see the center court line. Like, that is just not good television. And you're not going to get your highlights on television with that. It's not... It's not happening. TSN or Sportsnet will not do that. And it's a challenge, and it's a struggle, and I get it. But, you know, for a good television broadcast, it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do. And it has to be done professionally. And so that's, that's what needs to happen in order for these leagues to kind of get these um, highlight packages on. It was the same thing with the Rush when they won – the title a few years ago, and I can't remember if it was a fan or somebody from the Rush anyway that said, hey, TSN, hey, Sportsnet, where's our National Lacrosse League highlights? Well, non-existent. I, I don't know. You don't have a deal with one of the over-the-air networks, which would help, but the other thing, too, is you have to make sure that the money is being thrown into those broadcasts to a point where a national network will pick them up, and that's, that's just the reality of it. So if you want your leagues to get exposure on any of the major television networks, your broadcasts have to be better than just your average in-house broadcasts. You've got to get some dollars behind them and make sure they look good before the television networks will grab them to show highlight packs. It's just that simple. Well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the NLL did have a little bit of a deal with yep. TSN, TSN right? TSN picked up a handful you, of games. You hosted the final in yep. 2016, the yep. Russia's inaugural season here, uh, which was fantastic. But yeah, no, I'm in total agreement with you as well. I mean, if, if and the NLL, you know, I love the rush. You know, I, I really enjoy the game of lacrosse ever since yeah. it's come to Saskatoon. It's been fantastic. But, I mean, they kind of botched this in a way with the Bleacher Report thing, right? I mean, you had an opportunity with TSN. Yeah. You might have had an opportunity with Sportsnet, and you decide to go with Bleacher well, Report. I, in, in defense of Nick Sikavich, the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, I don't exactly know what went into television yeah. talks. I mean, I, and a lot goes into it. I mean... Uh, this is a league, by the way. You're, you're talking about the National Lacrosse League, and I'll throw the Canadian Elite Basketball League into this too. The National Lacrosse League, they are full of players that don't do this full time. Yeah. The Canadian Elite Basketball League is a league that has players that just kind of play in the summer and then go about their other business in the winter. So um, it's a challenge, right? I get it. So I don't know what sort of went into those talks um, in, in defense of – in defense of Nick Sikavich, I'll defend him a little bit as you start in on him. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy to um, come up with a television deal. But if you want television exposure, you need to put money into your broadcasts and you need a non-streaming, non-digital, over-the-air network television deal 
before the networks will take notice. Well, and with the NLL, I, they just announced uh, last week that they're going to be expanding again. An expansion yeah, franchise was great. Fort Worth. rewarded to Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I do think that the league is, is doing well enough that they can expand, but yeah. you are right. You know, who knows the cost and all that sort of yeah. stuff of yeah. what goes into to you know those television deals. But uh, just based off of things that I've seen and heard about the NLL deals with Bleacher Report, uh, it is not the smoothest transition. The MLB kicked off this weekend, and this was really cool. I was at your house uh, when we were watching the Cubs and whoever they were playing. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yep. Yes, thank you. Yep. Uh, they had the virtual fans, which you was like kind of which was kind of <laughs> cool. So they had the virtual fans, and you yeah, could actually good. change uh, what the virtual fans were wearing. Yeah. Some of the fans were in Cubs it garb. Some cool. of them were yeah. in Brewers garb, and yeah. you could change the uh, reaction of the fans yeah. as well. Broadcasters were all over the place. They there were was all over the place. color guys that were in Atlanta and Orla- Orlando, play-by-play guys that were in Denver, New York, Bristol, of course, yeah. one of the ESPN headquarters as well. So uh, kind of the new way that uh, 2020 is going to be in the MLB, and I actually kind of saw something funny. It was during the Pittsburgh Pirates-St. Louis Cardinals game. One of the Pirates pitchers got thrown out. Mm-hmm. The um, manager for the Pirates came out to argue with the umpire. And as the umpire and the manager were walking to one another to meet to argue, they both were mas- their masks. masking yeah, there you go. It was yeah. kind of funny. So that's how yeah. baseball arguments are in 2020. <laughs> um, but what is your thought? Like, yeah. you know, you watched a few broadcasts. So well, what is your thought on the production it's value? It's funny. So uh, the ESPN broadcast last night, Sunday night, uh, Joe Schiambi, the play-by-play guy, was in Bristol, Connecticut. That's where the ESPN head offices are. That's where the studios are. Rick Sutcliffe was in Cardiff, California, and Chipper Jones was in Atlanta for a Braves-Mets game. Uh, But nobody was at the park. Uh, You know, the technology that allows this is kind of cool, but if you listen close and watch close, you can tell that the commentators aren't there. There are things that are just kind of not quite picking up because they're calling a ball game off a monitor or a series of monitors. Uh, Two of the best broadcasters, uh, Joe Buck and Dan Schulman, weren't at the parks they were at actually um joe buck called uh, a game he was in denver yeah. and i think was he doing yankees i can't, I can't remember. remember i can't remember what he was doing uh dan shulman and buck martinez were in the toronto studios doing the blue jays openers down in tampa and you can kind of tell that they're not you know they're just kind of reacting to what they see and those are like i said buck and uh, shulman are two of the best play-by-play broadcasters that there are in major league baseball but you can kind of tell your commentators need to be at the park, and I think we're going to find this with hockey too. Mm. They're going to need to be at the rink. They need to be at the courts in order for them to kind of pick up the things that, as a viewer, I want to I want to hear about, especially the things that maybe aren't within camera range that add to what I need to know as a fan. And of course, we, you and me, are in agreement with this. But uh, we personally believe that the broadcasters should be at the park or the rink or the stadium or whatever. And there are ways to keep everybody safe yep. in doing so. But uh, we don't have enough time to get into That's that. Right. But you and me are, are in total agreement that it can be done and it can be done safely. Uh, so of course, the typical Blue Jays uh, blew it on Sunday, so uh, they start the season <laughs> one and two, one two after losing Saturday and yep. Sunday to the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the excitement of the MLB opening weekend was kind of shadowed by news today that fourteen. 
14 members of the Miami Marlins have tested positive for COVID-19. They were playing in Philadelphia this week, and uh, so the Philadelphia-New York game got canceled. That was supposed to be today. And Miami, I can't remember who they were playing off the top of my head. Marlins but were uh, to play the Ori- Orioles. Orioles, right, yeah, in then, Miami, and yeah. so they canceled that. Yeah. So uh, it took three days uh, until we have our first yeah. outbreak in an MLB locker room, and uh, it's going to be interesting. Rob Manfred, commissioner of the MLB, who we've talked about uh, on the podcast before is uh, I don't know if he's the right commissioner for the job this aside you know with the whole lockout situation that was happening anyways but uh, what I'm interested to know is if somebody the one or two members or whoever might have contacted it first if they were kind of outside of protocol doing something that they shouldn't have been or if they were inside a protocol and then the MLB needs to relook at, at the protocols. You know what well, I mean? Well, you know what's interesting, too? I just saw a, um, a clip with Dave Martinez, who's the manager of the Washington Nationals, and he said, my concern for this has gone from an 8 to a 12. That's what Martinez said of the Nationals. He said, and he used the word scared. I'm actually scared. He's got a heart condition, okay. Dave Martinez, and he's actually quite scared about – uh, this restart of Major League Baseball and what, you know, players and managers and members of these teams, how much are they in harm's way? And we're kind of seeing that with the Marlins. And I was just mentioning to one of the staff members here, it'll be interesting to see if uh, more games get canceled because of rain or because of COVID <laughs> before playoffs uh, get here. And here's another piece of news. A reliever with Colorado, Tim Collins, he's, he looked at today's events. And he's opted out. Oh, okay. Yeah, in light of today, he said, and the players do have the opportunity to opt out. Yep. And today he just decided that he was going to step aside. And another guy who was quite vocal on Twitter today who opted out before the season started was David Price. Yeah, pitcher for the LA, Dodgers. He was yep. pretty outspoken today saying, okay, what are you going to do, Rob Manford? You wanted to get baseball on, and here you got it, and here's an, an outbreak in Florida. So what do you want to do? So – it's uh, it's it's being talked about a lot. He was out. Uh, David Price was outspoken from the start of this yeah. ever since he did uh, choose to opt out. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Single-digit days until the NHL returns. Of course, Saturday, August 1st. August 1st, uh, the players have arrived in their bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto, uh, respectively. Exhibition games will kick off this week. Zero positive cases last week in the NHL. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that bubble that holds up, how that bubble does. And uh, just before we quickly go, you wanted to touch on a tribute to well, Colby Cave uh, of the Edmonton Oilers. I just thought it was so nice. So the Battleford's product, Colby Cave, uh, you know the story. We told it a couple of months ago. He uh, he lost his life at a very young age because of a brain bleed. Uh, he was with the Edmonton Oilers. So the Oilers were working out uh, on the weekend and... Um, it was such a nice a nice moment where the players all wore the number 12 on their jersey. So it, McDavid's name was on the back of the jersey, but number 12 was on every player at the scrimmage. They auctioned off those jerseys at the end of that practice for mental health awareness, which was something near and dear to Colby's heart, of course. And um, just such a great scene when everybody from the scrimmage kind of looked up because of social distancing, the family couldn't get too close to the players, but uh, way up in the rafters of uh, this small little rink where the Edmonton Oilers were skating, uh, there was Emily and the family, and the team stopped and paid tribute and gave the family a wave, and uh, I just thought that was so great. Yeah. So a terrific, um, yeah, uh, no, yeah, for terrific sure. That tribute. was a nice gesture yeah. by the Oilers, and hopefully they uh, hopefully they raise a lot of money with those jerseys that they're going to sell on uh, for for uh, mental awareness. Absolutely, and quickly, yeah. just before we wrap up for this week on uh, a little bit of a lighter note in terms of the NHL, uh, some of the teams opted for team photos before they left 
for the yep. uh, bubbles, and they were all wearing masks. They were all masked up, every single one of them. <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. So, yep. 2020, uh, a see. year like no other. Yeah, exactly. So I think that wraps it up for uh, this week's edition of the YXE Sports Podcast. So a big thanks to everybody that tuned in on the Wendell Clark's Classic Grill and Bar yes. Facebook page and the YXE Sports Podcast Facebook page as well. And a big thanks to everybody listening to the audio version of this. A reminder, the YXE Sports Podcast can be found anywhere, uh, any streaming service, and, of course, uh, now on Facebook as well. So a big thanks to you, Stitcher. Ray Morrison. Yes, Spotify. Yes, all, all the good ones. A big all thanks to Deborah Hobrick and yep. Ian Rocher for a fantastic the production team. Yeah, Sylvia, Ian, and all I good. think uh, on holiday Monday we'll do the same thing. Well, next sounds week. good. We'll be here. So we'll be here as well. Until then, stay safe, and we'll chat next week.